Have you ever seen extreme survival shows on TV? There are shows such as Bear Grylls' Man vs. Wild, where a team of seasoned experts face off against nature. Or there are programs like Naked and Afraid, where a group of contestants, just members of the public, are thrown into a hostile environment, stripped naked, and they have to survive for a week. They have to contend with harsh weather, they have to contend with poisonous fruits, they have to contend with dangerous animals, all with very little equipment and next to no training. Have you ever seen a show like that and sat back and thought, <laughs> what idiots? I mean, why, why would anyone do that? Why would anyone be foolish enough to face such an uncomfortable and dangerous situation that they're thoroughly unequipped and unprepared for? And we chuckle to ourselves and change the channel over. And yet, I fear that many of us Christians who chuckle at them are blind to the fact that we face a much graver threat and a much greater danger that most of the time we're not equipped to face. This evening we're in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 20. This is part one of a two-part message. And this evening we'll only get as far as verse 12. But here Paul speaks of the struggle we face. But also how God has provided for us everything necessary to stand in this struggle. And not simply to stand, but to stand firm. And we're going to see three things from this passage. The first is this, your prowling adversary. Who is it and what, what is it that we're up against in our struggle? Verse 11, Paul says, Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, people of this world, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Your prowling adversary is, of course, the devil and his spiritual forces of wickedness. He is the great enemy of these verses in chapter 6. And Peter tells us in chapter 5, verse 8 of his first letter, that this devil is like a roaring lion, a prowling beast who's searching, seeking for those he can devour. And the whole purpose of this armour is so that we can stand firm against this prowling adversary. And now at this point, there's a great tendency to simply declare who the enemy is and then skip on to the good stuff 
of the armour of God. Well, we're not going to do that this evening. Because if we fail to fully grasp our situation, if we fail to fully understand what it is we're up against, then we become vulnerable to it, but we also don't see our desperate need to put this armour on. So for this evening, we'll just look at this first point, your prowling adversary. Now, this isn't the first time in the letter of Ephesians that Paul mentions the devil. And in order to fully understand this devious foe that we face, we have to understand what Paul has said before about him. You see, the letter to the Ephesians is pretty much split into chapters 1 to 3. Paul lays out glorious truth. He speaks about facts about you, about me, about Christ and our salvation. And then in chapters 4 to 6, Paul tells us then how we should conduct ourselves based on all of those truths. So first half of the letter, he lays out, this is the truth of the gospel. Here's glorious truth about God and about you. And then the second half of the letter is building our lives, the building our conduct, our actions, the way we live as Christians on these truths. And so reading Ephesians 6, jumping in at this stage is like a sportsman who walks in five minutes at the end of a half hour team talk, trying to work out what the game plan is. So the best way we can fully understand how we are to stand against this foe, who this foe is, what our relationship to him now is. We must understand what Paul has said before, because it's vital in understanding how we now stand, how we now fight. So turn back to me, turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 2, which we read earlier on. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. We'll just read those verses again. And you he made alive, that's God, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. There's our adversary. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So what does Paul tell us here in this earlier chapter about our prowling adversary, 
which will help us later next week when we consider how we stand against him. Well, we see him named here as the prince of the power of the air. And we are those who once walked according to his ways. We walked in rebellion to God in sync with the devil as if every one of our footsteps has been planted in the devil's footprints that he has trod before us in his rebellion against God. But notice something really important here in chapter 2. Notice how Paul doesn't simply mention the devil. He mentions three enemies. He speaks of three evil influences that we face. One is the devil. Another is the world. And then the flesh. Look back to chapter 2 verse 1. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Now, what do we mean by this world? Well, it's the place where we live, the place God created, but which has become corrupted by our own sin and by God's curse upon the earth because of our sin. Later in this same chapter, chapter 2, Paul says in verse 12 that the earth is a place without God and without hope. And in this place, in this world, God has decided in his sovereignty, he's considered it wise as part of the curse on the world after the fall of Adam and Eve to give our adversary, the devil, a huge power in and over the world. And so we see in, in places like Luke chapter 4, verse 5 to 6, where the devil tempts Jesus. We read, Then the devil, taking Jesus up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to Jesus, All this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. By whom? God. And I will give it to whomever I wish. And we see also in John, in 1 John 5, 19, John says, The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So there is this world that we've been born into, which is controlled by the greatest enemy of God, which teaches us what to believe. It teaches us what is right from wrong. It teaches us that we are the only things we need. You are enough. And there's no need for God. It strips away your need for him. This is the hostile environment in which we live. And if that wasn't bad enough, this world has been given under the power of the wicked one. The devil has been granted the power and authority over this world. And he's actively working against us in order to keep the blind blind and keep the dead dead. And if that wasn't bad enough, 
Paul says, we also conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. What is the flesh? What do we mean by the flesh? It is our own inner wickedness. See, God opposed evil isn't just out there in the world. It's deep rooted in our hearts. Did the devil make us sons of obedience? Does the devil make us to be children of wrath? No. We've made ourselves rebels of God. We've done this to ourselves. These are self-inflicted wounds. The devil simply works to keep us this way. Does the devil control us against our will? Would we, would we actually be pretty good people if not for the devil getting in the way and controlling us? No. We walk according to our own lusts. The devil and the world give us exactly what we crave. We're not against our own will here. We're satisfying our own lusts. We've made ourselves rebels against God because we crave the very things that he condemns. All the devil does is simply work to keep us content with our sinful state and this sinful world by feeding us lesser things to satisfy our selfish lusts and desires. Now, perhaps you, like me, in your Christian walk, the only of these three that you really think about is the flesh. I think that's true of a lot of us at Belvedere Road Church. We spend all our time thinking on our own sin, our own desires, our own sanctification. And that's an eternally worthwhile, infinitely valuable focus. But as we're facing off against the flesh, facing it head on, we don't have an eye on the devil and the world at our backs. We become vulnerable to the the devil and the world, if all we're focusing on is one of these three enemies. And don't think that just because here in the UK we don't face persecution like our brothers and sisters in China, that the devil and the world don't affect us here. Don't think that just because they don't affect us in the same way that they don't have a hold on us. Don't think that the only thing we have to face is the flesh. No, each of these three influences is pervasive. Or maybe, unlike me, you fall on the other side of the ditch. You overestimate the influence of the devil. and You see the evil of the world, but you neglect your own heart. You neglect your own flesh. You're so caught up in thinking about the world and the devil and how the devil is working and what evil is going on in the world 
that you don't think about your own character. You don't think about the evil in you. We cannot become blind to any one of these three influences. We don't just face one problem. We're hemmed in on every side. And we fail to see in that way the radical, severe nature of our depravity. We must be aware of the deep fallenness of the world we live in. We must be aware of the deep wretchedness of our flesh. And we must be aware of the deep wickedness of the devil, this prowling adversary. A few months ago saw the seventh and final season of a TV show. It's Star Wars, The Clone Wars. And in one of these episodes, it's discovered that years earlier, one of the soldiers named Echo, who had long been thought dead, had actually been captured by the enemy. So a squad was assembled and sent into an enemy base in order to rescue Echo. Now the base was crawling with enemy foot soldiers and was ruled by an evil commander. But the squad eventually found Echo and his mind had been hooked to a machine that was controlling his thoughts. He was completely different. He was not his own person anymore. The squad eventually unhooked Echo from the machine and he was saved. But they still faced three problems. First, they're still in the enemy base. Second, Echo was still feeling the after effects of the machine on his mind and his thoughts. And third, the enemy forces were all about them. In many ways, that is the experience of a Christian. Yes, we've been saved by Christ. And yet we're still in the world. We still feel the cravings in our hearts and our minds of sin. And we still have the wicked, evil forces of the enemy all about us. Before we even get to consider our armour, we must focus for a second upon this enemy. We cannot turn a blind eye to these evil influences that we face. Now, over these past few weeks, I've searched through the Old and the New Testaments to find every instance that we see the devil actually working in an attempt to find out two things. First, what does he want when we see him working? And second, what does he do in order to achieve that? And there are various different cases and situations where we see the devil at work. But I think generally every one of them can be summed up in this. The devil uses the world to feed our flesh in a bid to deceive us away from Christ. 
So let's break that down. We have the devil. He uses and manipulates the world that God has granted him this power over. The devil uses its enticing lusts, its vain distractions, its temporary comforts, its godly ideologies, its devastating sorrows and its empty promises. He uses the world as his weapon in order to feed our inner fleshly desires for sin, in order to give us exactly what we want, tricking us into thinking that we're complete without God, which in turn hardens our hearts towards Christ, gives us a taste to prefer sin over Christ and will ultimately, eventually, condemn us by Christ. This is the way he works. The devil uses the world to feed our flesh in a bid to deceive us away from Christ. And we see that all throughout the Bible. We see that with Adam and Eve. The devil uses empty promises to feed Eve's pride so that she would disobey God and eat the fruit. We see that with Job. The devil uses his suffering in order to feed Job's self-righteousness so that he might curse God and turn his back on him. We see that in the parable of the sower. The devil uses the cares of this world to feed the flesh of an unconverted man or woman or child who hears the gospel in order to keep them the enemy of God they have made themselves to be. We see that with Ananias and Sapphira. The devil uses material possessions to feed Ananias and Sapphira's greed so that they would lie to the Holy Spirit. This is a devious adversary that we face. And so, if you're dead, a rotting corpse, in your own sinful lusts, if you have an enemy who works to cover your eyes and cover your ears to the truth of God's word and who feeds into your mouth the very sin that you crave while you lie in a world thoroughly opposed to God at every turn, then what hope do you have? What hope can you possibly have? You have none unless chapter 2 verse 4 happens. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you trust in Christ, God has forgiven you and breathed life 
into your dead heart and pulled you out from under the sway of the devil, which, by the way, he always allowed you to sit under. The devil cannot make a single move without God allowing it. So God has pulled you from his grasp. He's unblocked your ears. He's uncovered your eyes. He's placed his Holy Spirit inside of you to regenerate your heart. And so you become awakened to the fallenness of the world you once loved. You become awakened to the wretchedness of your flesh that you once esteemed. You become awakened to the deep wickedness of the devil who you unknowingly once bowed to. And so after reading chapter two, by the time we get to chapter six, we see that this isn't a wrestling to free ourselves. We've already been made free. We're not wrestling against an evil spirit who has a hold on us. He is defeated. He's our old master who we no longer bow to. We're no longer bound with him to his eternal destiny of hell. And through Christ's death and resurrection, our old master, the devil, along with his spiritual forces of wickedness, have been dealt the final fatal blow of defeat. Colossians 2:15. Christ has disarmed principalities and powers. He made them a public spectacle, triumphing over them in the cross. They are disarmed. They are defanged. They are defeated and yet still dangerous, and yet, and yet, we have nothing to fear. Turn back now to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Now notice here something interesting. And here's where our situation as Christian believers is not like that story of Echo and the soldiers. Look here. Where does Paul tell us that these spiritual forces are? Well, they're in the heavenly places. That's not the first time Paul uses this phrase. That's not the first time we've seen that phrase this evening. What else does he tell us? is in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1, 3. We have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1, 20 to 21. Your resurrected king is seated in the heavenly places, far above principality and power, might and dominion. Ephesians 2, 6, we as believers have been raised up to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ, which is above 
these forces of wickedness that we face. Ephesians 3 verse 10, Gentiles have been made part of the unsearchable riches of Christ so that the manifold witness of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So if we take Paul's letter as a whole, then the whole of Ephesians is bolstering our fearlessness in the face of these spiritual forces. So you're wrestling against heavenly place spiritual forces? Well, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. You're wrestling against heavenly place spiritual forces? Well, your king is exalted high over every single one of them in the heavenly places. You're wrestling against heavenly place spiritual forces? Well, you have been seated up high with that king in the heavenly places. And if your blessings come from that place, then that's a place above the very adversary that we face. You're wrestling against heavenly place spiritual forces, are you? Oh, well, your very life as a redeemed Gentile, most likely, a redeemed believer, a redeemed wretch, is a testimony to the glory of God against those forces in the heavenly places who seek to hold you in the world, satisfied with your flesh. This is not a battle of fear. So many of us just look at the wickedness and the dangers of the world. We just look at where the devil may be attacking without purposefully and regularly drawing all of those thoughts back to, but God has given us all we need to stand. But God is for us. So who can possibly stand against? If your whole gaze is taken up by the looming problems of the world and all you think about is their intricacies and details and that's all you fill your mind with, then you'll always end up in despair. See, you can look at the world and see all its fallenness and the wickedness of men and women, but if you stay there, then it can leave you lamenting. It can leave you feeling fearful and hopeless. But if you look out at the horrors of the world under the sway of the devil where people gratify their flesh, but then return to the solid ground of the kingdom of God that you have forever been adopted into and you use all of the evil you see out in the world as a means to bolster your faith in this kingdom, then you will find incredibly that those problems that once seemed large and threatening and exhausting 
become small. The fears that they once brought are nullified. They're completely extinguished and replaced within an inextinguishable peace and hope. And that's what your soul thirsts for, isn't it? Yes, the Bible tells us to be wary of this prowling, dangerous adversary. And yes, the Bible tells us to keep at arm's length the world, but never once does it even hint at us worrying or fearing because of them. Why? Because of where we now are. We already have the victory. And so you can join with the boldness of the apostles who had the words of Jesus ringing in their ears and buried in their hearts. John 16, 33, Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Think on that verse. Tribulation in this fallen, devil-controlled world is certain. Jesus guarantees it. But our response to it should not be fear. It should be cheer. All the time. Every time. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the danger, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how evil forces move against us, the king of your salvation, who has been raised up leagues and leagues higher than every wicked power, powers which can't even make a move without God saying so, that king of your salvation gives you the comforting command, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And next time, we'll see him say, here, take this divinely powered armour, which is a spiritual blessing which comes to you from the heavenly places, from the place above the enemy which you wrestle against. Take this precious divine armour and by this you will stand. And not just stand, but stand firm. Don't stand naked and afraid. Stand fully clothed and equipped and without fear.